What is up, guys? Brad here with another episode of Investor Creator. I'm really happy that you're here with me today, and I'm really excited to share this next episode with you because my good friend and apprentice Justin Rogers came in to the office to spend some time with us and really to see how the, the team works together, how our business meetings work on Fridays, and then, of course, Margarita Friday, where we go uh, have some margaritas together. Uh, it's a good team-building exercise. I highly recommend it. But anyway, we had a great time together, and we came back to the studio and really did a deep dive into Justin's growth. So uh, for those that don't know Justin, Justin has had really a meteoric rise in the program, and it's really humbling to me to be a, a part of the success that he's having, where he went from making fifteen to $25,000 per flip to making uh, over six figures his first deal with our system. So you're going to want to hear about that. But also, I really appreciate Justin just being open and honest with some of his fears about following a different program whenever he didn't have success with one before, and also how he had fear in marketing and and how he was able to early in his career juggle his family life with his work life and you know all of the things that we all really go through anyway, but so many people are afraid to say. So I just appreciated it so much. I had so much fun with this episode and I know you're going to want to hear it. So without further delay, here's me and Justin. The real estate world is changing. Opportunity is everywhere. It has never been so easy to connect, share, and bring people together. We're learning from others and finding the very best in ourselves. Challenging our beliefs, overcoming our fears, transforming ourselves so we can transform our business. This is Investor Creator. This is Investor Creator. I'm Brad Smotherman, and today I'm joined with my apprentice and good friend, Justin Rogers. So Justin is a 10-year veteran in the investing game and is currently scaling his business to the seven-figure mark per year and beyond. Justin is a resident of Nashville, Tennessee, and has a beautiful wife, Lindsay, and two children. Justin, welcome to Investor Creator. Thank you for having me. So... Justin and I have known each other for a long time, and I guess you've been in the the apprenticeship program for roughly a year and a half, something yeah, like that? Yeah, going on two years, yeah. Going on two years. So you've been in, in the, the real estate investing business for nearly a decade. How are you feeling about the market right now? What are you learning about the market? Just kind of give me your overall thoughts of what you're seeing. My overall thoughts is, I mean, I got into this around 2011, 2012, and I have constantly seen it just hit the ceiling and then continue to go on Keep through going. the ceiling. Yeah. You know, I know that uh, my gut feeling is I know that we're due for a correction at some point, but the fundamentals, it just continues to keep going. I don't think we're in the quote unquote bubble because the foundation has been built a little bit better than it was last time. So that's why I like to use the word correction. But as far as that, I mean, real estate with the interest rates being as low as they are and continue to drop you know, and housing, you know, with it being in such high demand and not enough of them out there and available, I see this trend continuing to go until there's houses for everyone and the interest rates go up. Yeah. So let's take it back to 2012 when you started. Tell us about that market and really what you started doing then. And I think you found that that really didn't really work anymore in this really hyper hot sellers market. So tell us about the 2012 market and really where you started. Where I started was, is I was showing up at auction blocks and 
bidding on homes for people that were 20 and 30 year veterans that knew their numbers down to a science and everything like that. And anybody and everybody can just show up Mm -hmm. and say, oh, 150, you know, 155, you know, and you had to have cash and all this kinds of stuff. So that's where I kind of started with it and uh, bought my first home, did a flip and, you know, it was great. And then, but I kind of wished I'd had that flip now and held it a little bit. Oh yeah. Because it's, I I guarantee it's worth a hundred thousand dollars more. Yeah, I was going to say probably double. Yeah, if not more. Yeah, yeah. And we're seeing that kind of all over the place. So you started off by kind of helping other people with their purchases at the auction. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And so at some point you decided, okay, I want to be an investor and do this myself. So kind of talk me through the, the bridge to that end scenario, because for a lot of people getting into the business, I think is a very fearful thing, you know, so from going to where you're helping other people, but it's their money. And you know kind of the parameters in which you can bid and that kind of thing. So it's not like you know you're going to make a colossal mistake. But now when it's your money or it's your credit, then, I mean, it's your bottom that's on the line. You see what I'm saying? Exactly. So was that a scary thing for you or were you pretty comfortable with that? It was, well, it was scary because it was it was new. And yeah. anything, anything kind of new that you do in anything, in any life, it can be scary because it's a gear change. And for me personally, I like to see an end result. <laughs> With, or, or at least knowing in result before I like to just jump in head first. But yeah. that was just the point where it's like, hey, jump off the cliff. You know what you're doing. You're going to fly. You might have to flap your wings a few times, but you're going to end up flying before you hit the ground. And, and I love that. And especially the analogy there, because, I mean, you could be flapping your wings and still falling. Yeah. You know, and, and that happens a lot of the time. But, you know, if, if you keep at it, the people that I see in the business that do the best quickly are the ones that have an absolute necessity to make it work. You know, it's like if you're falling off the cliff, you have to make it work. So tell me about the first deal. Do you remember the first deal that you did that way? The first deal doing not the auction block, but doing the... So just auction. No, just auction. Because that's how you're buying then, correct? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, it was was still a little bit scary because, you know, I went in and I was like, you know, I really kind of got lucky that nobody else really showed up Mm -hmm. for the auction. Okay. Uh, One other guy who knew me that they were all trying to keep me out and, you know, bid me up and all this kinds of stuff. And he actually, the the bid came out and he looked at me and he just went, there's no reason to bid you up. Just take it. And I went, okay, great. So I, you know, I bid $1 over, got it and started the flip. But yeah, I mean, it was, it was intense. So correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding, whenever you're buying at the foreclosure sale, that you don't really have a good understanding of condition. So you kind of have to factor that in. So yeah, number one, supposed to. <laughs> <laughs> all right. so number one, did you have possession at the point that you had taken title at the auction sale? And then secondly, do you remember walking through the house and being like, did I buy a good house or like, was this a, a colossal error? No, I knew I had bought a good house. Just the numbers alone were decent because I knew, I knew the subdivision. I had a realtor that really knew that area. And I was like, you know, kind of, what do you think? What can we get done? And that's when I was also still doing a lot of sweat equity because okay. I knew that I didn't, you know, for, for whatever I was going to have to pay somebody else, I was going in and doing it. So I knew that no matter what, I was going to make this work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, it, because basically the only extra cost I was going to have is I might have to buy a few extra materials, but otherwise I'm making this work. So you're going in, you're doing painting, doing everything, flooring, plumbing. Wow. So how long did it take you to get that first house done? It took me six months. Okay. And so really during that point, we saw the the beginnings of of appreciation. So what year was this? 
That was in 2013. 2013. So this was the very beginnings of a run-up on appreciation in Nashville. And so 2014, did you end up selling that property for more than what you thought? Yeah, a little bit more. Not much. Not much. Not much more. But yeah, I think I ended up selling it for maybe around five or 6,000 more. Okay, so basically the same. Yeah. All right, cool. And so did you do as well profit-wise as what you'd hoped? Yes. Okay. Do you have any idea or do you remember what that number was? I made I made $23,000 on that. $23,000, okay. It's so funny to us now because we look back on a deal where my first deal, I made 20000 in cash and a $17,000 note. And I remember like how excited I was about that where now that same deal, like we would do it you know, you, you see what I'm saying? Maybe. We would do it, maybe. <laughs> but, you know, overall, we're not like super crazy excited to do that deal. So that that's super interesting. So at that point, I'll kind of put it in my perspective. The first deal that I did, the best part of it, the best part of this deal was not that I had this little bit of money to work with, although that was great because I had literally like $300 in the bank at the time. And this 20K in cash came in and I was like, oh, man, like first I thought this check's never going to clear. Like somebody's made a, a, a very big mistake. This check's never going to clear. But then the best thing that it did for me is it gave me the confidence to know. And I was, I was a younger guy. I was probably 23, 24 years old. Like, hey, I can do this business. I can shut down some of the haters that have been saying like, this is never going to work. You're never going to do a deal like this. And I had eight months of like pain and tears and blood and sweat. And I had nothing to show for it. But until that deal closed, like then I had something, you see? And so did you feel a little bit of that with your first deal? Like you've been working with these other guys, helping them get these deals. Now you've done your first deal. You made a little bit more than what you probably thought. $20,000, which is like a ring the bell moment for you. Oh, it changed my world. Tell it, me about that. It absolutely changed my world because at the same time, I was also still an entertainer. Okay. Um, I used to travel around and sing and all that kind of stuff. I think I'm the only musician to move to Nashville to not want to do anything with music. <laughs> that's probably and, true. And just straight up and just straight up real estate. So yeah, I was still actually, and that's why it actually took me six months because I was still on the road traveling back and forth. Okay. And then in the meantime, I was working on the house and that's how that all kind of transpired. But yeah, after that, it was, it was a total game changer for me because I was just like, I just made this and this amount of time versus me killing myself, driving yeah. around and doing this and doing that. And uh, being a musician is not easy, by the oh, way. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and the pay is crap. <laughs> so I realized really quickly that I need to I need to shift gears. And that's yeah. when, and stop making everybody else rich. So let me ask you this, and, and I'm not trying to get too personal, but so were you married at the time? Yes. Okay. So you're on the road traveling. And then I have to assume to a certain extent that when you're home, it's like, Hey, honey, great to see you. I'm going to go work on this house. Yep. How did that work? Um, <laughs> she understood. I married a really great lady. I yeah. mean, she knew I was on the road a lot anyway. That was part of the deal. And she knew that she saw in this the value. Yeah. So it was hard, you know, for her to, but then there were a lot of times I was like, hey, get in the truck, let's go. You know, we got to go clean out, you know, some of the trash that's over there or something like that. And she was like, you just go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I'm assuming I'm assuming this is pre-kids. Yes. Oh, okay. yeah. Totally yeah. pre-kids. Yeah. It's like, hey, yeah. kids, come on and, and get this trash out of the house. So I, I, I totally understand what you're saying with that. So like with my wife and guys, like there, there's so much to this, okay? Like there's so much to having a support system at home that doesn't tear you down. I see people that don't have what we did and uh, their first obstacle is sleeping in bed with them. 
And, and that's a really, really tough thing to overcome. With my wife, she never once doubted me. And she was, I, I literally don't remember any kind of a disparaging comment or anything that made me feel like, gosh, I'm letting someone down. Now, her grandfather came to me and said, now, Brad, you need to get a job. And I'm like, but I've got this going on. I'm going to do this. Brad, you get a job. And the thing is, like, he's a great man. He really is. And, and he's a, a good friend now. And he was doing what he thought was best. And looking back on it, a lot of people have dreams that they don't really ever chase. They don't put the, the energy into to create it. And maybe he felt like, well, maybe this is just one, one more of these kids, you know, 23 years old and, and I'm newly married and I don't have a job and I'm pressure washing houses part time to make something happen, chasing this dream of in the worst real estate market in probably the past hundred years in 2010. Yep. And I'm going to buy houses with no money, leave their loan in place. They're going to have equity. And I'm going to sell it to a buyer that has copious amounts of cash, but no credit. And I'm going to create a note, Grandpa. I can understand why somebody might be a little bit dubious about that. So that that's fantastic that you had that. So you got this first deal done. Once you got that cash in, was it something like, hey, let's go and build a business now? Or were you just kind of thinking, well, let's just go and do another deal? Yes, for both. I, I knew immediately, That's and that's kind of always been my mindset, is you know, I know some people would get that cash and then they go, hey, let's go buy the Ferrari, you know, right. or let's go, let's go out, you know, let's, and there's nothing wrong with celebrating, but I was like, I can recreate this. Yeah. I yeah. can do this. Now, business, I'm not exactly sure it was, I was ready to be like, yeah, it's a business, but I was like, I can repeat this. This is repeatable. Yeah. And there are people out there that they're either going through foreclosure or they're going through something that they need to sell their house. That is actually one of the reasons that really attracted me to what you were showing was because I was mainly, I mean, 99.9% .9 of the time I was dealing with people that had already been foreclosed on. You're right. And I'm right. either, you know, I'm either kicking them out of their house or, you know, asking them, hey, how quickly can you get me keys? And I didn't like that. Yeah. That's, I didn't, I never liked it. So that's why I actually like it when people want to sell me their home. And that's a big difference. I've never had to, I, we've had to evict, obviously, but I've never had to be the person knocking on the door when there's children there. And I'm sure you've had this happen yep. where it's like, hey, I now own the house. You know, when are you going to get out? Did you have a certain one scenario that, that kind of hit you a certain way that you're like, I just don't want to do this anymore? There were two different ones. One on the front end, because you're never used to that. You're always kind of shell-shocked at that site. Yeah. Because people, and it showed me, and I don't want to get too far off of the subject, but That's fine. people get locked into a, a mental state that it's just like, I'm actually helping you because there's no way you can stay here and you have to move on. Yeah. And there was the the one I remember, it was in Madison, Tennessee. It was during that freeze that we had a couple of years ago for like two weeks straight. It was ice. Mm. And the guy knew we were coming. We, he knew we were coming. We knew we were coming. And then the day of, he's showing up. And I, like an idiot, showed up at the same time. And he's just doing this number and doing this. And, and, all, and like, I didn't know. I didn't know. But at the same time, I was like, you did know, but it still affected me. I still yeah. did not like that feeling. Yeah. I hated that feeling. Yeah. And then the second one was uh, just a couple of years ago. And I, as much as I hated it, I knew I was doing these people a favor. Because after walking through the house, mm. it was terrible. It was absolutely terrible. I actually went and shut the power and water off because I was like, there's no way somebody's living here. 
And then they came out the door as I'm turning the water off. And I was like, I- I'm sorry, I thought the house was vacant. And he said, no, no, we're living here and everything like that. Well, the day of that we got, we and still had to get the sheriff out there, had to get movers out there, everything. But then we went through the house. But at, before I went through the house, they bring out this, look like maybe four-year-old girl. Oh. And I was like, oh my God, please tell me she's not been living in this. Because we went and walked through. There was no way they were taking a shower because there was stuff piled up in the bathroom. You couldn't even get to the tub. And the floors were all sunken in. And it looked like they were walking in mud pretty much the inside. Like, it was disgusting. Was this an addiction scenario, you think? You know, I don't don't know. I didn't pry any further than that. Yeah. Because I I really couldn't. I didn't really want to know. I just knew that they were gone. Wherever they were going at that point had to have been better than this situation. Well. It had to have been better. We hope so. I think I was telling you just a, a little bit off camera, we had a scenario where there were, we had a grandmother that was selling us a house in Tennessee. And the reason for it was the, it was health and safety, which is in our big five motivators that we see in a good chunk of our transactions. And the home inspector called us and said, hey, there are people passed out here. And so we're like, well, what do you mean? And he said, I, look, I don't know if I need to call the police or ambulance. And so we're like, well, you know, that's your call. But, you know, and, and so basically they were heroin addicts, needles all over the place. Mm. And so I'm, I'm a big believer that people should do what they want to do, even if it hurts them. I mean, I, I believe in, in freedom of choice. But when we saw the pack and play, that's different. Yeah. Children change things. Yeah. And quite a few times in, in my career, and I'm sure in yours too, it's like, well, I'm not much on calling Department of Children's Services, but by law in Tennessee and in many states, like if you feel like there's a chance that there's a child that's either abused or neglected, then you have to do that, you know? And so we've had to do that a few times. And so the home inspector did that for us, you know, and it was just a a tough situation. And you run into these sometimes. Did you ever have a scenario where someone said, and and you truly believed they had no idea that the house was being foreclosed? Um, no. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) No, there, there's been, many people that have tried, but I know the process, especially after this many years of doing it strictly that way. Yeah. I know that there are several ways that they are notified. And that's something else that I learned along the way. By the time it gets to me, you know, you know, I know how long it takes the bank to do this. I know the processes that I even have to go through to notify you that this is happening. So yeah, no. (laughs) That makes sense. So at some point, you decided not to do foreclosure sales anymore. Correct. So walk me through that decision-making. Well, several reasons. Like I said, I want to deal with people that want to sell me their home and not somebody that I have to forcefully make leave, whether it's justified or unjustified. The other thing is, is I believe that in this way, I'm actually, I'm actually helping somebody. I'm giving them what they want, and I'm helping them in a, in a, in a different type of situation. Um, whether it be foreclosure or relocation or health and safety or, or you know, the, the list goes on. But when I realized that there are people that want to sell me their home, I just got to figure out how to get in touch with them. That's the key. And that's where I want to be. That makes an easier transition. That makes it a win-win and not me feeling like I'm just taking something. 100%. 100%. So I actually just saw a, a couple of days ago where I recorded our first conversation. Oh boy. <laughs> uh, on on Zoom. So we had our intro call and we were talking about things. And so at that point, you were buying predominantly from wholesalers. And I was buying from wholesalers too. I was buying from wholesalers from auctions, essentially. 
Okay, so wholesalers were going to auctions, right. getting title, and right. then wholesaling out. Right, because I knew the process, if I was just going to show up, it was just going to make the bid even go higher. I'm still going to pay the same price, but now I'm losing my time, you know, going around and doing all this stuff. So I figured, you know, hey, I'll cut some of the time and maybe cut a little bit of the cost by just buying direct from them. And really, it was, at first, it was a good situation. And then as my business you know, I call it a business, but at that time it was really just me. Yeah. As the business grew, I realized there's not enough mm-hmm. of what they can give me with the profits. And I, I was just noticing, I'm like, every year it gets a little tighter and it gets, and the work gets a little bit harder, you know, the, the, the rehabs, right? You know, Cause there's not one, I take that back. I take that back. There was one property I bought that I went in and painted a few walls and relisted it. Other than that, they were paint, flooring, cabinets, all sorts of stuff. Yeah, you know? so, so pretty deep was, rehabs. Yeah, so pretty deep rehabs. So it was always, you know, the margins got smaller and the work got bigger. And it got to a point that I was like, I was in a, a good mid six figures down to where I was like, oh my God, like we barely even cracked 200 this year. Like what is going on? Interesting. And then I just realized I was like, I got to change something. Something's got to change because... They're not coming off of their prices anymore. And so. in fact, it's probably continuing even to this day to get tighter. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, now there's hardly any foreclosures. So I'm sure right. that that's, you know, I'm sure that it's, I mean, I made the change right at the right time. Right? Yeah, that makes so. sense. So at some point you found Investor Creator and did you find it from a podcast or was it an ad or do you remember? I found it from a friend of mine who is a wholesaler okay. and had known your name and said, I think you should get in touch with this guy. And I said, really? And he told me about it and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, okay. And then I, I, I think I listened to maybe a podcast or I, I, I looked you up somehow. And it's kind of fuzzy on how we actually got yeah. connected. Yeah. But after we had that first initial conversation, and I was just like, man, I'm in. You know, because I know what I'm doing now is not sustainable. Yeah. Was there hesitation in changing so much? Because that's one thing that I see, especially if there's a, an already stabilized business. And I hear what you're saying. It's like, I barely cracked 200K. It's like, yes, but for many people, it would be tough to change systems away from what had created 200K. So yeah. was there some hesitancy or some some fear around doing that? Yeah, there was, I mean, definitely, because I had also, I mean, just previously, I had joined some kind of, uh, uh, it was a group of buying vacant land and doing this and one of those workshops and all that kind of stuff. Right. And um, because I was actually talking about my wife, uh, about this with my wife just the other day. And I said, you know, it was kind of a scam because she was upset that she had bought this uh, hair straightener at the home <laughs> show that ended up being a scam. Okay. You know, and she was really beat up about that. And I told her, I said, honey, you know, I paid $4,000 for this course and it was basically a scam. You know, and she goes, well, not actually. You did learn a few things out of it. And you're using that in what Brad has taught you as well. Mm. And I was like, so, yeah, I guess you're right. I said, I still made it profitable. Mm -hmm. I still did make a profit out of it. But I was like, there was a lot of stuff like, oh, but if you want the platinum package. Right, right. That kind of that kind of crap. Yeah. And and that's when I realized I was like, so that's why I was com- I was skeptical at first, because yeah. with what you're talking about, not putting on, you know, how many people are out there going no money down? 
And right. don't use your own money. And, you know, $9.95 a month and we can get you, you know, the radio voice comes on and all that right, kind of stuff. Right. And so I was like, I'm going to, but I am going to walk into this with with skeptic feet. But everything he's saying makes sense. Yeah. It's different, but it makes sense. So let's so, try it. Yeah. And, and I appreciate that. I, I do remember our conversation and, and that you were a little bit skeptical. And frankly, a lot of people are. And I don't, I don't doubt people for that. And frankly, the people that come to me like with too much enthusiasm are generally desperate. Yeah. You know, it's much easier for me to, Hey, give me a step of faith and I'll do the same for you. And then you can see this is real with other people. Once you meet everybody, you know, and you come to support calls and you see that things are real. The people that are desperate possibly fizzle a little quick too. That's right. Yeah. Because they're expecting it. it, Yes. Is this a doorway to do very well? Absolutely. That absolutely. Is it going to take time? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And effort. It's work. It's not easy. Yeah. But if you do it and stick with it, you're going to do very well. Just as I've proven over just two, I mean, you, your, your model and your scripts have changed my business in two years. I did the calculations actually yesterday, not okay. because I knew I was coming here, but we were just kind of analyzing stuff. I have 15 X my business. Wow. Not 10 X. I have 15 X my business. That's crazy, man. That's humbling for me. And, and I'm, I'm blessed to be a part of it, man. And I wanted to see your face when I got to tell you that. Well, <laughs> now, <laughs> now it's on camera. So, so let, let's go back. You joined and the things that I do re- generally require a little bit of capital on the marketing side. And so marketing is something you've never really done for motivation. Correct? No. And that was very hard for me. Tell me about that. Well, I'm cheap. Yeah. <laughs> me too. <laughs> I'm very cheap. So, and, and by going to these wholesalers and just bring them bringing me deals, I didn't have to pay them for that other than the fee, the assignment fee, because then I knew it was a deal and all this. So I didn't mind paying for it. Right. It was very hard for me to wrap my mind around putting money out there and not getting something back almost immediately. Yeah. That was tough. That was very tough. And that makes sense. But to talk about that, everybody, guys, that's paying wholesale fees, they're paying for marketing. They just don't know it. So it's two things. Number one, you're paying for that wholesaler profit and they're also marketing. Okay. So if, if they're continuing to wholesale, they're making a profit on the marketing that they're doing. Okay. Now you have certainty. So you have certainty in the deal. This is the deal that I'm buying, but I guarantee you that unless you're their tip top buyer, you're not getting their best deals. So they're running their marketing. They're taking either the best deals for themselves, which is probably what's happening, or they're giving the best deals to their top buyer. And then that buyer is cherry picking everything. And then the stuff that doesn't want to, that that buyer doesn't want is getting flowed through to everybody else. Okay. And I see this so, so often. All right. So I was like, okay, Justin, we got to market some man. And so I sent you to Paul. Yep. And so Paul began to run ads. And I remember specifically, we had a conversation. <laughs> okay. I think that you had been in, I don't know, two or three months, something two or three months. Yeah. Something like that. And you didn't have a deal yet. Do you remember how much you'd spent at that point on ads? I was spending twenty five hundred a month. Okay. So I was up to what it was seventy five hundred. Okay. So I mean, give or take. Yeah. And I was on. I, I called you because I was like, "This isn't working." Yeah. You know, I don't know what to do. And and you said, "Well, how many leads are you at?" And I said, "We're at twenty or twenty two. Yeah, I know, it was like low twenties. And so <clears throat> there, let me switch around here. <laughs> Make sure you get the squeak in there. Yeah, get the squeak in there. <laughs> so it was in the low 20s. And generally, we're at 10 to 15 leads per contract. And so we booked a call. 
and we jumped on Zoom. And I was like, okay, like, tell me about the lead flow. Like, tell me about this lead, this lead, this lead. And we had one near miss out of that, if you remember. There was one. No, I don't. Okay. We can go <laughs> back to it. Better than yeah, mine. maybe. But uh, I remember there was one near miss and you're like, okay. I was like, okay, like that was good. But the, the, the quality of the leads were pretty good, you know? Mm-hmm. And so one thing that you'll see, just like with anything, you know, if we're playing piano, we're doing jujitsu, we're doing whatever, we're going to be better, you know, day 90 than we are day one. And we're going to be better month nine than day 90. And so there's a little bit of a, an on-ramp process when it comes to dealing with this kind of stuff, like spotting a deal, that kind of thing. My guess is out of those first 20 leads that you had, there's a, probably a, a better shot that you would have today than back then. Yeah, there was a lot of user error going on. Well, it's possible. <laughs> that's a very, that, that's a kind way to say it. So, but I remember I was like, man, stay the course. This looks okay. I think we're, we're right on the cusp. So tell us what happened next. It was either the following day or the day after that is when the Dixon deal that's how I refer to it now, came yeah. through. Okay, so tell us about that lead and that phone call. Tell, kind of walk uh, us through that. Dr. Samuel gave me a call, and I got this lead in Dixon, Tennessee. And for anybody in the rest of the world, even in Tennessee, Dixon is not a very big town. It's the median price is very low. And after, you know, I, I, I analyzed the deal a little bit and talked to this guy, and he was wanting $500,000 for this home. Well, anybody that knows Dixon, Tennessee, knows that that is an extremely expensive house for that area. I think the median price, now it might have changed since then, because it's been a year, so it might be triple that. I don't know. Absolutely. But um, the median price around in that area was around, it was like 150 to 200. So 500,000. Come to find out, this was the second largest house in Dixon County. Oh, my goodness. So... I was like, so the, the, and there were no comparables. I say comps, but for the rest of the investment world, they don't know that. The comparables for that, there was nothing to pull from. Yeah. So, but as just a practice deal, I was like, let me just go talk to this guy. Let me just go out there and I'm going to run through the motions because I need to get better at this. So you were trusting the system. I was trusting the system. And let me practice this versus really putting so much pressure on yourself. And you kind of, it sounds like, went into the deal not wanting it. You're just going there for practice. Yeah, not necessarily wanting it because one thing I learned early was that you don't always want the biggest house in the subdivision because that's going to be the hardest one to sell. There's not that many buyers for that. So I'm like, this is the second largest house in an entire county, not the subdivision. So I'm like, but you know what? Let's do it. Nobody else in their right mind would have gone on this appointment <laughs> based on the comps. But I went out there, met with them, and it was a health issue. Okay. And I'd found this out later, but he had congestive heart failure and mm-hmm. they were trying to downsize. They had a house that they were with, about to purchase and they had a contract to sell this house but it just like evaporated. He didn't have a contract. He had a verbal offer. Ah. And then it just disappeared. Well, at that point, he was somewhat desperate. And I just said, look, we ran through the whole, the house was in great condition. It needed some updating for sure. But it was, I mean, perfectly livable. Actually, I was like, hey, Lens, you want to move in over here? (laughs) (laughs) But we talked the numbers and uh, I gave him the disheartening fact of, I just ran down the script and he said, well, how much would you offer? How much would you offer? How much would I said, I don't really have a number in mind, but you know, if you're willing to work or whatever, well, eventually he kind of broke me down. So I did go, 
I apologize. I went off script. It worked out okay. So it we'll, we'll allow okay. it. And uh, I said, you know, in all honesty, I think what you need to do, and I told him this straight up. I said, I have two realtors in mind that I think you could get this sold very quickly for what you're needing. But I said, if I was going to have to buy this cash, I would be around the like 350 mark. And you could just see, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But even at that number, I was still shaking because nothing out there suggested that I could even sell it for 500. Right. So anyway, a couple of days go by and we emailed back and forth. And I just told, you know, he was asking about how you get the comparables and how to do that. And I walk, I mean, I just walked him through it. I was like, here, this and that. And, you know, he's pulling like three twos that are 1500 square feet. And I'm yeah. like, Dude, and trying is, to use that. I was price like, this per is a 500,000 square foot four five. It's got two master bedrooms in it. 500,000 square feet. No, 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 uh, 5,000 square feet. Okay. I was like, wow, yeah. that, that's no, a heck of a house. No, 500,000. No, no, no. <laughs> but on, on 13 acres, you oh, know, wow. it had the, like, the Scarface mansion, like, wraparound stairs. Oh, really? and I mean, it was a beautiful house. Wow. So, anyway, this story's going on way too long. But anyway. Yeah, uh, that's a good story, though. But I remember it vividly. On Friday, we emailed. And I just sent him those. And I was like, look, so that's what this week suggests. That's why I can't offer you more than this because I don't even know if it's still going to sell for this. You know, so I have to have some buffer room here. And I know that that seems like a lot, but there's nothing to even suggest. I said the next largest house sold for 525 and it's, it was built in like 2000 and, you know, 17. Hmm. This was built in like 20, you know, 2008 or something like that. It's right. much older. So it was like, so we really don't know. And I'm just being, Straight up honest with him. Sure. I get a call. I'm, me and Lindsay are getting ready to go out to dinner. Okay. I get a call and I was like, oh, okay. Hello? Hey, is that 350 still on the table? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Okay. All right. Well, I'm going to send you an agreement, not contract. I'm going to send you an agreement. You sign that. We'll start to get work on the title and I can close in two weeks. So we closed on the property. So, uh, but before we get oh. there, so you hang up the phone. <laughs> What do you tell Lindsay? I said, I think I just bought a $350,000 house in Dixon, Tennessee. <laughs> and she goes, what? And I said, yeah. And she was like, okay, where are we going to dinner? <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. All right. So you really weren't sure. You were still a little bit nervous. You, you didn't look at that as like, oh, uh, man, that's a big win. A little bit nervous. I was extremely nervous. Yeah. I was extremely nervous because... The difference with this house and other houses is we're, we're, that's also, we're in the middle of a pandemic. Right. I have no idea what's going to go on. Like this is totally new. And that's what I always say about when I start something new. I don't get, and, and maybe the other people are like this as well, but I don't get the three, two in the middle of a subdivision that the comps suggest 150 and that, and we know it's going to sell for 150. I get the house that's the second largest in a county. And there's no comparables to ever show that they would sh it should sell for this. That's the ones I get. Or it's, you know, in Timbuktu, and there's so many problems with it that nobody knows what to do with it. That's the leads I get. <laughs> so, the universe is testing his faith. He is. It is. It is. <laughs> but we, um, we, we moved forward on it and did the inspection. The day of inspection, the disposal quit. And so he was willing to, he used his American Home Shield to pay for that. And then I compensated him for that because it was going to cost me $200, cost him 50 bucks. Right. You know, so that's the deal we worked out on that. So we closed on it. So did you meet the seller at the point of closing? 
Or did you have any conversations around that time? Not, no, the last conversation we had was at the inspection. Okay. And I just said, whatever they're going to charge you to do this, you just send me the bill and then we'll, we'll take care of it from there. And we're still planning on closing at whatever date that was. Sure. And if there's any issues in between, then you just give me a call. And he said, okay. And the last phone call I got from him was we're taking the keys to the title company and we're going to sign, you know, at like 1 p.m. It's like, okay, great. Fantastic. Fun, funds are there. Yeah. Great. Just let me know. Great. So you close and, and then what? Then we, we go and clean out the house okay. and had it professionally staged. It was big house. Mm. And uh, when there's a certain price point, I try to kick in a little extra. But I think I spent a total, I can probably go back and on my phone and look, but I think I spent around 5000 staging, cleaning, tax tag and title, like everything. Wow. Just to get the house ready for listing. Right. The day before we listed it, my realtor gets a phone call. I remember this because you came to the support call and you said, man, you're not going to believe this. And I got a cash offer for 450 if we don't list it. And I went, we're listing this property. <laughs> we are absolutely listing this. So property. not for a moment, were you willing to accept 100K? I was thinking about it I, for a split second. I did think about it because that was the fear. Yeah. But then I had to take a step back and it was like, well, if he's going to buy it for 450 today, he'll buy it for 450 tomorrow. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's right. Just because we've listed it doesn't change anything. He's still going to have to pay a fee regardless. But I went, if I'm getting 450 before we even list it, I'm getting 500. And we listed it within 24 hours. We had multiple offers, but we had a full cash offer for $500,000. And I owned that property for a total of three weeks. And my total net profit was around $127,000. $127,000. So at that point, you probably became a, a believer in marketing. I was on board. <laughs> I was absolutely on board. And I was so stoked about this because I, it, it's so much fun for me when someone is... And I wouldn't say struggling. I don't think 200K a year is struggling, but you weren't where you wanted to be. And so with that... It's it, all perspective. It's all perspective. And we <laughs> talked about this because I'm pissed that we're at eight contracts right now for the month and uh, we should, we're supposed to be at 13 per the numbers. But but with that, it's always so much fun for me to, to take someone that is not where they wanted to be, I think is fair. And they have the capability, but there's just some strategy that's missing or some pieces that are missing. And then when things hit, it seems like things generally hit all at one time, you know, like things kind of fall into place, like puzzle pieces fall into place in the right place. And, and then from there, like we can begin to scale. And so really that's where we are now, I would say is yes. how do we get this to where we're in the one, two, three million dollar per year range, right? you know? And so tell us like, what does your business look like now versus then? Oh, I mean, it's, it's been a complete overhaul before it was, we get a house, you know, I make, few phone calls, make a list, done. But that was only bringing in maybe X number of dollars. Now, I mean, we're in marketing. I have staff because I can't handle, and that's actually where I'm at now is I need to hire more people right? because I'm realizing that, that things are slipping through the cracks, you know, because we, we are going to be in that one, two, three million dollar net profit range but we've got to get these people 
in place. But yeah. but to go back, yes, I mean it's been a complete it's it's been a complete overhaul of of what we're of what I was doing before. I mean there was no marketing channel. Now I have I have marketing. I have CRMs. I have phone platforms and stuff, which are you know at first they were scary because it was like I'm putting out money. I'm putting out money, but I'm like that gum. You know now my average. You know before my average was. 15 to 20 per flip. And now I'm mad if I made 40. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big difference. Our average is between 65 and 70, depending on the market, you yeah. know, and, and that's, that's what marketing does is it gives us opportunity. So we're not having to go against 10 other buyers with a wholesaler to like take the scraps of a deal that their best buyer didn't want anyway. Like we're able to create our own transactions. What do you think was the toughest part of this transition for you? Oh, that's a tough, that is a tough one. That is a tough one. There's not, I don't think there's just one. Okay. I think that, I think there were several factors and honestly, believing that I could do it yeah, was one of the biggest ones. Believing that I could actually do these things was one of the hardest things. One of the greatest values I got out of, I mean, besides other things, but one of the greatest values I got out of the apprenticeship was putting me with people that can help you overcome some of these mindset struggles. Yeah. I don't know how many times I went back and watched those videos with Tony yeah. and wrote down in my notebook all of these things that I think I can't do and yeah. then realizing how stupid that is. Yeah. You know, just go back and look at this. These I mean, there are very intelligent people that that do this business and there are not very intelligent people that do this business. It but it is not rocket science. Find your formula and find the thing in you that can tell you to just move forward. And that's what I had to do. I love that, man. And you're right. I mean, there's some people that are extremely intelligent that do this business. And there are some people that are extremely hardworking. If I had to pick one or the other, I'd, I'd much rather be a hard worker than very smart. You know, and I think that sometimes the most difficult people that have tough time with this business that I've seen are engineers, accountants, doctors, attorneys, because they are so smart. They're so focused on risk and analyzing risk. And you think about an engineer or an accountant or an attorney or a doctor, you know, a doctor goes in for surgery and they're not at their best. I mean, that could cost a life. Right. If an engineer doesn't do that bridge exactly right, that bridge is coming down and 30 people lose their lives. You know, like these are, are catastrophic right. failures. And then accountants, like you miss a dot, which is a decimal, those decimals matter. You know what I mean? Yes, they do. <laughs> and so as we talked about offline. As we talked about, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, with that, those people are over the top smart, but it doesn't really predicate into success here to the point that if I have an engineer or an accountant or a doctor or an attorney that joins with us, I disclaim it. And I say, look, you're going to have, I tell them, and I've had people get very upset at me, but like, it's like, you are going to have a tougher time with this. And they yeah. always like, well, why? Why do you say that? It's like, look, you're smart. And they don't know what to, to make of that. It's like, you're kind of complimenting me, but not really. You know what I mean? <laughs> you're, you're, you're smart. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, right, right. And so, but it's like, look, you're too focused on risk and you're too focused on systems that don't exist right now. Yeah. So like, I've seen so many people that one good example of this, there was a guy that he and I actually did one deal together in Raleigh, North Carolina. He spent roughly 10 days designing his business card. Mm. It's like, well, how many damn people are going to see this business card? Like not many. And so it was yeah. just kind of a waste of time. I used to be that guy. Well, I I'm surprised by that to a certain extent. Yeah, I'm surprised by that. But I think that there are a lot of people out there watching this or listening to this that 
could be focused on that. They're spending so much time analyzing their yellow letter and saying, well, exactly what does that copy need to be? Or what does my business card need to look like? Like until you're sending out over 20,000 yellow letters at a time, like it's not going to make a decimal point difference that is material in your business. Like we've tested this out. You're not going to find the perfect that works 100% of the time because the variable is the situation of what that person wants and if they're willing to even do it. That's 100% right. And this is another thing about systems is, you know, we can do the best that we can when it comes to systems. All systems are designed to be, we're going to catch the most fruit that we can from the fallen tree knowing that we're going to lose fruit. So like one of our systems is we never make an offer, generally speaking. We never make an offer. But And it's like, well, why would we do that? Well, there's various reasons for that, but I understand that we're going to alienate some sellers because all they want is an offer. And I'm sure you've heard this, Mm -hmm. that we won't give them an offer. They get off the phone. If we had lowballed them at half, we had a chance at the deal. Okay. And I'm certain that across years that we would have done a deal with one of those people, but that would have been at the cost of dozens and probably hundreds of deals. Right. How many deals are you losing then because you wanted this one offer right. and that's the way you're changing your system? Right. The system is not designed and no system, no system is designed to catch. Do you think Open Door and Zillow and whatever, like Google, catch everybody? No. I don't know. Open Door at their pricing, they might. They might, but they, <laughs> but they still don't. Well, we're still buying. Well, we're still buying and we're also selling to open door. So shout out to Rath in Las Vegas. So, but I mean, but even, even with as big of companies as that with hundreds of millions of dollars and their systems in place, they're still not catching everybody. Certainly so that's not. proof that's positive right. that it, no matter what and how much money you put into a system, it's not going to get, it's not perfect. You got to stop worrying about perfect because nothing's perfect, but do what, what works. And this system works. And it's one of the best systems I've seen. Obviously, it's worked for me. Well, I appreciate that, man. So just to kind of recap, you went from roughly 15 to 25K per rehab mm-hmm. to 127K, your first deal, and you spent $4,000 to get there in rehab. Right. Uh, most of that was staging. No, 5,000, and most Five, of that was staging. Most of that was staging, yeah. Yeah. And so from there, how many deals that you think you've done, or maybe we should talk about it in terms of like, maybe what's your best month or what an average month looks like. And obviously I'm still trying to get things geared in because as soon as I revamp, I'm not used to it. And then we have this huge influx and I'm like, oh crap, you know, it's, you know. I remember. Yeah. yeah. But there was an entire quarter. I didn't, I didn't buy anything, but that's because our systems were down and we were trying to get everything back. As soon as we revamped and got it back in, I think I ended up purchasing around four to $500,000 in one month. In property? Yes. So how many deals? It was spread out over like five or six houses. It was ridiculous. So four to 500K in purchase price or profit? Profit. Okay. Yeah. So four to 500K. Now, and that was, that was at the beginning analysis and all that kind of stuff and and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I mean, it was, uh, I mean, it was incredible. The amount of, I was like, holy crap, the amount of equity I just, I just captured doing this new system was, holy crap. (laughs) Are you surprised? Because right now, most people feel with this hyper hot sellers market that the real problem is finding good deals. So are you surprised at the amount of of deals that we can get and the equity capture that we can get on transactions? At first I was. At first I was really surprised because I was like, you know, well, just put it on the market and it's going to sell in a day. That's everybody's, most people's 
mentality now. But after really looking into what we're doing and the situations that people are in, no, because there are people that can't, they can't list it the proper way. Mm-hmm. And they, uh, not the proper way, that's the wrong terminology, the, the, the traditional way. Sure. So no, now after actually really digging in and, and seeing, I'm like, yeah, there's plenty of deals out there. You just got to know where to find them and how to get them. That, that's 100% right. I guess the last question for me is, I'm kind of thinking about your story and the emotions behind it. Because I mean, like I say this all the time, there, there's more to success in the business between our ears than anything external. And I think about the situations that you were going into whenever you were buying these foreclosures. And I would be pretty nervous to go to a front door and just think, gosh, what am I getting into now? Like what situation, who's behind the door, what's the condition, all of that. But specifically the people that, because I I know you and I, I know like your ethics and your standards for yourself and the fact of we enjoy helping people. And so does the business feel different to you now than it did then? And is there one yeah. story that you feel like you really helped us? Maybe it was the first one, but is there one seller that really pops out in your mind where, gosh, like we did a great thing there? Yes. There was a house in Pleasant View, Tennessee that the numbers were, the numbers were tight, but they still worked. I mean, they were still relatively good numbers. And after talking to the seller, uh, Jason, I, I do remember his, I do remember his name. And I like that area actually. Mm-hmm. Went up, talked to him, and I said, Well, what's the what's going on here? Tell me what's tell me what we got going on here. And he stepped in the other room and he goes, My wife is in the early onsets of dementia. Mm. And I was like, Oh boy. And I said, I'm really sorry. And he goes, What we're trying to do is we're selling this house and we're taking all of the, you know, he said profits. And we're putting this into the the house that we're moving into to get it ready for her. And I mean, just so how old was she? Was this, you know, just I mean, oh my lord, she was not that old. I mean, no. I would think fifties, mm. maybe. I mean, it was too young for something like that. So that's a long struggle. Yeah, and you could just you know. So I wasn't I wasn't there to beat them up or anything like that with price and all that kind of stuff. And I just said, look, I really want to work with you. This wasn't part of the script because I do like that area. And I said, I I like the area. I like the house. What are you really wanting to do here? And he wrote down a number. You know, he was like the old car salesman Uh kind of thing and wrote it down and then turned it around. And and I looked and it was it was a little too high. I was like, even with as tight as it was, I said, is that the least you would take? And he said, what are you thinking? And I I said, just is that the least? And he, he wrote down another number. And I went, I didn't even look at it. And I went, okay. Wow. (laughs) <laughs> you know, because I knew anything less than that number was going to work. Yeah, cool. You know, yeah, it was just at that. It, there was there was a lot of questions about the house and the, that, that we were going to have to do and ended up doing really well off of that house. But I ended up getting a phone call from the title company after the closing. And they said, oh, my God, you're a saint. Mm. I've never had anything like that happen before. And that just made me go like, I'm actually helping people. Yes, I'm profiting, but I am actually helping these people. They taking that money and they're getting that for her to do whatever absolutely they need to get done. And it was a good chunk to be able to get that done. So I was like, this is where it's at. That's beautiful, man. Guys, I'm so excited. We're going to have to do this again, maybe in six months as a recap, or maybe a year from now. 
Like one of the things that you'll find out about growth is it's not linear, it's exponential. So like where we are right now, like we're, we're just starting on that exponential curve. It's gonna be a lot of fun. So man, thanks so much for being with me today. Thank you for having me.